Well, good morning. That was a powerful song, wasn't it? Go on and scream it from the mountains. I hope you sang that from your heart. My question to you this morning is, would you be willing to whisper it to your neighbor? The fact is, I think that this country would be different. Our churches would be different if people took seriously the obedient uh, command of Jesus Christ to go and tell the world about him. But the truth of the matter is, we don't. (laughs) And so this morning, I really wanted to uh, talk to you about let's getting real. Let's just get real, okay? I mean, we sing the songs, we, we do the worship. Let's just get real about what the Lord tells us in his word, what his command is to you and me, and how we should obey. You know, if we really, truly knew reality, I mean, if we really knew it, it would change us. But what happens a lot of time is our reaction to reality is to ignore it or pay, not pay attention to it. And that's when we get bit. I mean, y'all probably have read in your history books about the Great Depression. And everybody before that thought everything was going just fine. That our economy was great and everything was going to go on just like it has always gone on before until that crash hit and they lost everything. People jumping out of windows to their death because they didn't know what was real. You know, I... When I was a kid and as a young adult, I thought, I heard about terrorism, you know, things happening on other parts of the world. But I was glad in America we really didn't have to deal with that because it never really happened here until the Twin Towers went down. And then the reality struck me, as I'm sure it struck all of you, that terrorism is real and it is a fact that we have to deal with in our world today. You may look around this worship center right now. You see all these things on the wall. You may wonder what they are. Those are not, uh, those are not bow ties. Those are lighthouses. And we have lighthouses on this wall because we believe as a church that sharing the gospel is important. It's what we're all about. Many of us have committed to be lighthouses. But I wonder if we really knew what it took to be a lighthouse before we signed up. Knowing the real deal changes us. If I came to you this morning and told you that the stock market was going to crash next week, how many of you would actually sell all your stock? I probably would not convince a lot of you. Maybe a few of you. But then if it really did crash, you would have said, wow, I wish I would have believed him. The problem is, see, the problem is knowing or hearing about something and actually believing it is totally different. Do you agree with that? You hear what I'm saying? Because we hear all this stuff. We sang that song. We heard those words. The question is, do we really, really believe it? See, I want to talk to you this morning, and I am hoping, I'm hoping to convince you Of what reality is. What I want to open your eyes to. Is the real answer to the question. Do I 
really believe it. Y'all remember that movie, if you're my age, you remember it, that movie, The Matrix? How many of y'all remember that movie? The Matrix, y'all? Are you kidding me? That's it? Dude, where have y'all been? The Matrix, you know, the guy, you know, it's, the whole world's like a, kind of like a dream world type thing, and, and this one guy kind of has an idea about that, and someone approaches him and tells him that he can have uh, 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 a fresh perspective or a real perspective on the truth. And he comes to him, and he basically says, look, I've got a blue pill and a red pill. Now, you can take the blue pill, you'll go to sleep, and you'll wake up just like you always have, living in blissful ignorance. Or you can take the red pill and see what reality is really like. And the rest of the movie, and in fact, I think there were three movies, are all about him taking the red pill and seeing what reality is like. This morning, I want to give you a red pill. Not this big, but I want you to take this red pill to see what reality is really like. You will have to either embrace reality or live in blissful ignorance or live in blissful denial. You look on that listening guide, it has there a scripture that says, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Now, this is a reality statement. It's not one that is spread about our country, especially in our churches, but it is a reality statement. Deny yourself, take up your cross, which was a uh, form of execution. In fact, it was the bloodiest, most painful form of execution that there was. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. What much of the American churches preach today, I know because I've heard them, is this. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must live for himself. Take care of number one. Take up his dreams and follow them. And how many of us have been filled with that lie? That we need to follow our dreams, but what we need to do is follow Jesus wherever it takes us, even if it's a place we do not want to go. Can you imagine going to one of the Nubians, that people group that we've embraced that's just about 100% Muslim, who for them to accept Christ, they have to realize they'll probably lose their family, they'll lose their jobs, they may even lose their life. And you tell them the gospel of Jesus Christ and say, then you'll be able to really follow your dreams. You know, it's not that way in most of the world. In most of the world, people, listen to me, people have to count the cost before they follow Christ. Here, man, we can pray a prayer. We can get baptized, and it costs us Nothing. But I want to tell you the reality is, even for us that are sitting in this room right now, it costs us everything. It costs us everything. And if you leave here this morning thinking that Sunday mornings you can give that to God... And the rest of the week you can live on your own without one thought about obedience to him, without even whispering the gospel to your neighbor, then you are deceived. You have taken a blue pill. 
Jesus is very clear about what we need to do. Now, I'm going to go with, over with you some reality checkpoints, okay? We're going to go through these so that you can test yourself. See if you're on the road of reality, the road of truth, if you are headed in the right direction. Now, the first checkpoint I want us to look at is that God's love is real. Now, that's an easy one. That's an easy pill to swallow because we all like God's love, don't we? Don't we? Amen? Amen. We like God's love. I mean, I want to know all about God's love. In fact, the Bible says God is love. When we think of God's love, though, we think of different things. We think of God maybe healing us or, or, or filling our bank accounts, making life a little smoother for us, getting that job that we want. Surely if he loved me, I mean, if God loves me and he does love me, the Bible says he does, then my life's going to be a little bit easier, don't you think? Because he loves me. The problem is, for most of the world, to embrace God's love just made their life get incredibly difficult. Just on this trip to Egypt, I hear about a woman who came to Christ, a young lady, She gave her life to Christ, and then she began, of all things, to tell other people. What was she thinking? She tells other people, for a couple of years, she leads a number of Muslims now to Christ. When eventually it was bound to happen, her dad finds out about it. And her dad, her dad now, beats her to death. The cost of following Jesus has become way, way too easy for us. It costs us everything. That young lady is rejoicing with the angels in heaven, and she was willing. Listen to me. She understood. Believe me, she understood what it meant for a Muslim to come to Christ, and she was willing to pay the cost. Because we think of God's love as making life easy on us, when life gets difficult, what do we do? Say, oh, God, I thought you loved me. I thought you cared about me. God's love is real. There is no doubt about that. And that temptation we have when life gets tough, we ask that question. I've asked it. You probably all have, haven't you? God, what are you doing? I mean, the disciples asked that. Remember the storm that was going? They were about to sink. They wake Jesus up and says, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? Or one of my favorites is Martha. She's in there working her tail off. Mary's sitting there listening to Jesus. That would upset me, I think. And then Martha comes to her and says, Master, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? And I would say to me, to you, how dare we ask the question, don't you care? Because forever, Jesus has shown us how much he cares at the cross. There, God showed his love in great and incredible ways. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, than one would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus said the greatest way you can show love is by giving your life for someone. Here he talks about giving his his life for his friends. I remember my little sister, about four years old, we were out fishing on the pier. This was back before well, it wasn't back before life jackets were invented. It was just back before they were a big deal and we made children wear them. And I mean, she, uh, she had a little, we had a little fish. You know, you take these little fish and you make cut bait out of them. Do you know what that is? You cut them and then you throw them out there in the water. 
And uh, I know that sounds gruesome, but that's what we did. But she used to love these fish, and she'd care for them, and she'd speak to them. She'd actually talk to those fish. And that one fish she was talking to came out of her hands, went in the water. And so what did she do? Went right in after it. And let me tell you something. My dad immediately jumped off that pier. <laughs> and he swam like, I, I mean, thrashing around the water. Finally, someone saw her hair come up. They jumped down. They saved her. My little sister was saved. Praise God about that. And we all were so happy, and we ended up leaving, and there was my dad still holding on to a barnacle-encrusted uh, pillar, and everyone just left him. And he was so tired and worn out, he couldn't swim another. He couldn't even crawl up that pole. The thing was about that is he was willing to die. He, I promise you, my dad would have swam until he couldn't swim anymore to save his little girl. The thing is... That Jesus' love, I mean, he loves us, but it's so much greater than that. Because you look at this next scripture, Romans 5 eight says, God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet, what does that say? Sinners, not friends, sinners, enemies. We were enemies of God. Do you get that? You weren't some cute little thing. Oh, we need just, well, I just think I'm going to die for him. No, you were ugly ugly spiritually i'm talking about ugly and yet he loved you and died for you even though the bible says you were his enemy so how does god show his love by giving you the job you always want no if god showed his love that way then that would mean he hates many believers in china does God show his love for you by giving you plenty of money? No, then that would mean God obviously hates all the believers in Sudan because they don't have anything. How does God show his love? It is the cross. Look at this next scripture. It says, by this, the love of God was manifested in us. It was displayed. It was shown in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. See, he sent his son to die on a cross so that we could live. So let me ask you, how does God show his love? It's a test. Are you afraid? If you can't answer this question, you're not going to be able to witness. Now, come on. By sending his son to die on a cross. The cross is the greatest display of love this world has ever seen. At the cross, listen to me, I don't want you to miss this. At the cross, Jesus said, forever and into eternity, I love you. You got that? Okay, that's a checkpoint. A reality checkpoint. It's not your health, it's not your wealth. It's not whether the Gamecocks win or lose. It is the cross that forever shows that Jesus loves you. Now, his love is real, but also we've got to realize his wrath is real. Now, God's wrath is something that we have maybe relegated to the Old Testament. We don't believe it, or we simply choose to ignore it. The question for you is, what is the greatest manifestation of God's wrath? What is the greatest manifestation of God's wrath? If I do something wrong, a lightning bolt lands in my shorts, is that it? No. How about losing my job? Is that an example of God's wrath? No, it's not. Is hell the greatest manifestation of God's wrath? 
No, I'm afraid not. You want to know the greatest manifestation of God's wrath? We have to go back to the cross. I thought you just said that was the greatest manifestation of his love. I did. But also the greatest manifestation of God's wrath is the cross. Look at 1 John 4.10. And this is love. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. So we see this love at the cross. And he sent his son. Now here's where we get to the wrath. To be the propitiation for our sins. Now I already know y'all are thinking, what in the stinking world is propitiation? Well, let me explain it to you. I've got the definition up here. Definition of propitiation, turning away from the wrath of God, or turning away of the wrath of God by an offering, by an offering. See, at the cross, the greatest display of God's wrath was the greatest display of the most precious offering that could be offered. You see, at the cross, I want you to understand this, at the cross, while God's love was manifested, also his wrath was manifested. Hear me, when Jesus cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The wrath of God fell upon him that should have gone on you, that should have gone on me, but it fell on his most precious son. God's wrath is real. You see, God could not just wink at sin. Sometimes people, you know, think they say, why couldn't God just say, okay, you're forgiven? All right, it's okay. No big deal. You sinned. You lied. No big deal. We're all okay. We're all good here. What I want you to think about is I want you to think of this. Pretend it's a hot summer day. Not like today, but it's a hot summer day. You've been working out in the yard. And I come out with this pitcher of sparkling, clear, taken from the mountain springs, ice water. Oh, it's sweating all around it. Oh, and you are so thirsty. You've been working hard. But I said, before you drink it, one thing I want to do, and I get a little syringe that I have taken. See, one of our toilets are clogged in the house. And I just go, and I get a little bit of that. And I said, I'm just going to put this in the ice water. How many of you are going to drink that? Anybody? Raise your hand. I'm going to see who that would be. Nobody's going to drink that. See, the truth is, sin is more disgusting than that to God. He will not allow any sin into heaven. He could not wink at sin. And that's why his son had to die on the cross, had to pay the penalty for our sins. I want you to know that God's wrath is real. In fact, all those good things we do, you know, those those good things we do like helping old ladies across the street or, you know, being a Boy Scout or any of those things like that. Do you know what the Bible says about those things? The Bible says all your righteousness, okay, all your good stuff, what you think is good, all your righteousness is as filthy rags. You might think, I don't get that. What's a filthy rag? Well, let me explain that to you. In the Hebrew, what they did is they took lepers who had sores on them, lepers had, and they were bleeding and there was pus, and it was disgusting, right? And they wrapped them in a rag. That is the same word. That rag is the same word with what God thinks of your righteousness. God's wrath is real. God's wrath came on his son. Love and wrath meet at the cross. Now, there's two types of people in the world. 
I want you to know who they are because it's going to be important for our next reality checkpoint. So you've got to have this kind of foundation in your life. Two types of people in the world. One, children of light. I call them red pill people, okay? It says in Ephesians 5, 8, you were formerly darkness, but now are you light in the Lord? Walk as children of light, children of light. Now, I hope you are a child of light, but there's another type of person. They're called the children of wrath, blue pill people. Now, Ephesians 2, 3 says about them, among whom we too are all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature, what? Children of wrath, even as the rest. Now, that's pretty important because the consequences for each of them, children of light and children of wrath, are significant. I want you to know it is a significant decision that you make which one you are. Now, children of light, wonderful. Revelation 21, look at this. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. We will be with God, and he will dwell among them. They shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. That is, isn't that amazing? Isn't that great? But now the children of wrath have a whole new picture. Their consequence for being a child of wrath, Revelation 20, I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whom, whose presence earth, heaven, fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, small and the great, the presidents and the slaves, standing before the throne. Books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire consequence for a child of wrath. Do you believe that? I mean, that's pretty awful. Second Thessalonians says this, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Okay, this isn't the meek and mild Jesus that's coming the second time. This isn't the baby born in a major. This, this is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. This is Jesus in all his power that is returning. Okay. He'll be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These, now get this, this is, to me, this is the most awful, frightening, terrible words. These will pay the penalty of eternal, eternal destruction. And in another passage, Revelation 14, it says, The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever and ever. Jesus tells the story of the rich man in hell who cried out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And the thing is, in Hades, in hell, they will cry for mercy, but there will be 
no mercy. None. It is forever. And a reality checkpoint for us is do we really believe that? Or do we live in our blissful ignorance that somehow, some way, everything just comes out okay in the end? It does not. Jesus made it clear. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Why? He wants you to know what is reality. How can we not? How can we not warn people this little blip of time that we have on the earth? I mean, the Bible says life is but a vapor. It's just a vapor. It appears a little time, and poof, it's gone. Knowing, knowing this life is so short, there are people in this town who are going into eternity today. There are some people right now, this very moment, who are at the very precipice of hell. Slipping down into an eternal torment that is indescribable. And listen to me, it is forever. As people listened to Jonathan Edwards preach in the 18th century, they were urged to consider the torment of burning like a livid coal. Not for an instant, not for a day, but for millions and millions of ages. At the end of which they would know, they would know that their torment was no nearer to an end than ever before. And that they would never, never be delivered. I hate to preach something that's not so optimistic and, you know, kind of light and fluffy. I kind of, but this is truth. This is a reality checkpoint. Jesus doesn't want people to go there. He died on a cross. He took the wrath of God so they wouldn't have to go there. The reality is that there are two people who walk in two different ways and who have two very different destinies. So because of that, God gave us a mission, and God's mission is real. I mean, this concerns God very much, all this stuff of heaven and hell and the punishment for sin. In 2 Peter 3 9, it says that the Lord is not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. He doesn't want people to experience eternal wrath. In fact, I don't have this. I'm going to turn there because I'm going to read something to you. I hope the Lord put this on my heart. 2 Peter 3 9, where it says that. He says, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The next verse says this, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Boom, it'll happen. You won't be expecting it. Do you expect a thief? No, it just happens. The day of the Lord will come just like that in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works, all of it will be burned up. Your home, gone. Car, gone. Bank account, gone. It'll all be burned up. It's not going to last forever. Gone. Then he asked this question. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? What sort of people ought you to be? See, that's the question. In fact, that is truly gives us an understanding of what we really believe. God doesn't want people to experience his eternal wrath. So he gave the children of light, the children of light, a mission. We've all heard it before. 
because you're a member of this church, because you attend here, you've heard this a thousand times, and you'll hear it a thousand times more. But let's go ahead and read it again. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. Go, therefore, here's the mission, go, make disciples of all nations. That means shout it from the mountaintop, or at least whisper it to your neighbor baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. See, that is the mission that he's given to us. Now, how do you know, though? How do you know that you're a children of light and you have this mission? That's important to know, isn't it? Don't you want to know that fact? Because that one is a pretty important one. We just read the consequences. And in Acts 1.8, look at what it says there. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's how you'll know. See, you'll have power. When you're a child of light, you'll have power because the Holy Spirit's come upon you. Power to do what? We'll read the rest of that. And you shall be my witnesses. So here you come to a point. Here's a reality checkpoint for you. You believe God's wrath is real? You believe God's mission is real? Are you witnessing? Well, the Bible is pretty clear in Acts 1-8. Holy Spirit power on you, you're a witness. Now, a question for you, when's the last time you've witnessed? Have you ever? Now, there are two kingdoms. Like, there's two, child, two types of people. There's two types of kingdoms. And our kingdom is the one that has the mission, the kingdom of the beloved son. Colossians 1, uh, 1.13 says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. That's what he did. Transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We used to be a part of one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. Now we're a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The children of light are in the kingdom of the son and have an almost warlike mission to attack the kingdom of darkness. But I don't want you to think about it like we think about war here because our weapons are things like Love, the gospel, faith. What is the victory that overcomes the world? Even your faith. Now, what is faith? I believe God. Reality checkpoints. I believe them. I believe God's love is real. I believe God's wrath is real. I believe God's mission is real. In Christ's kingdoms, in Christ's kingdom, we are called a number of things. One of the things we're called as ambassadors. 2 Corinthians 5.20, look at our reaction as ambassadors. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. So we're an ambassador in the kingdom, as though God were making an appeal through us. Look, at, we beg you on behalf of Christ. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You think Paul knew what the consequences were? Do you think Paul knew reality? I think he did. He was begging people to come to Christ. And we won't go across the yard to tell someone about Christ. We're ambassadors to tell people about our king and our kingdom. In Christ's kingdom, we're not only ambassadors, we are soldiers. Look at 2 Timothy 2.4. No soldier in active service. Now, here's the key part, is that you are in active service. You are actively serving. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Now, that doesn't mean that everyday life doesn't happen to you. I want you to catch that. He says entangles himself. Gets all caught up in it. Does that make sense? Doesn't get himself entangled in the affairs of everyday life. Why? So that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Jesus Christ enlisted you as a soldier. Is it your desire to please him? 
doesn't get entangled. See, a soldier doesn't get entangled there. Doesn't get entangled in sports. Doesn't get entangled in shopping. Doesn't get entangled in little home projects. Doesn't get entangled in school. All good things, but not the best. The best is being a soldier for Jesus Christ, an ambassador. We are ambassadors, soldiers, and we're also lighthouses. Matthew 5, 14 says, you're the light of the world. Now, why are we called light? Why must we shine like lighthouses? Well, there's a very good reason for that, because the Bible tells us this, about those who are lost, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds, blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, we do have an enemy. In this battle, there is another kingdom, and we do have an enemy, and his desire is to blind the eyes. He wants them not to see the gospel. What are you, though? You're light. You're to shine into their eyes the light of the gospel. In fact, let's finish that verse in Matthew 5, 14. It says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. <sighs> all, all around you, you are sharing the gospel with people you come in contact with. Let your light so shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So, so we have this very real mission, right? It has very, very real outcomes. We are given this mission as children of light, as ambassadors, as soldiers, as lighthouses. We are given this mission. And let me be extremely clear on this last reality checkpoint. God expects real obedience. He expects real obedience. He doesn't expect you to be thinking about it or even necessarily just agreeing with it. He expects you to actually, now get this, do something. Believe it and do it. Y'all all kind of participated in that this morning. You may not know it. But you believe that chair would hold you up. At some point this morning, you came to a point of no return where you gave it all, right? If that chair didn't hold you up, you were going to be splat and look like an idiot. But you believed it, and it held you up. You actually took a step of faith. Are you willing to take that step of faith in God's mission to really be obedient? I want to read some of the most frightening words in the Scripture. You ready for this? Matthew seven twenty through 23. So then, Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Hmm. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice, practice lawlessness. Now, let me paraphrase for you, this for you. From an old Chinese proverb. Our walkie-walkie must match our talkie-talkie. 
See, we're good at talking, but are we good at walking? Let me give you another paraphrase of that scripture. Because, you know, uh, the religious activities that these people were involved with look good. Our, our excuses may be different and our activities may be different, but it's all the same result. We come before Jesus now at the judgment day, and this is what we'll say, Lord, did I not attend worship service for you? And did I not serve in a life group for you? And did I not lead our grounds committee for you? And Jesus will say, depart from me because I never knew you. We think these religious duties somehow show that we live in reality. And if that's all we are, if that's all we do, they show that we live in a fantasy. We say, Lord, Lord. And yet our Lord's last words, those ones I read in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples, his last words that we are to go and share him with everybody. And yet I have one question to ask you this morning. When is the last time you shared? Have you ever? Does your coworker know? Do your neighbors know? The real question is not are you saying, Lord, Lord. The real question is, are you obeying his mission? Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. Now, I want you to get something. How do we know Jesus? How do we really get to know him? If we're saved, how do we really have that intimate, close walk with him? Well, we know God through our real obedience. We know God through our real, that's how we get to know him. If you kind of don't know Jesus, probably you haven't been obeying him. This is what Jesus says in John 14. He says, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. So there you If you love Jesus, you keep his commandments. And he says, and he who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and get this. You see that? Will disclose myself to him. Do you want to know Jesus? Do you? I mean, you're here this morning. I'm thinking you do. Do you really want to know him? Not know about him. Not kind of live the way you've been. But I mean, really in his presence, know him. Here's the thing. You have to obey him. That's what you got to do. You have to obey him. And one of the most important things in that Jesus has told us is that we need to go and share him with others. Shout it from the mountaintop, we sang. Shout it from the mountaintop. Will we do that? Now, I could motivate you by just pure guilt, you know? When's the last time you witnessed? Now, guilt's a, it's not a bad motivator. It's not my favorite one, quite honestly, because guilt doesn't last. Eventually, we excuse ourselves, right? Oh, you're okay. Let me tell you, you know what the best motivator is? Not guilt, although you may be feeling guilty right now. That's okay. You may be guilty. You may need to confess, repent, and start obeying. I'm not saying that's not possible. But the best motivator for us is love. The best motivator for obedience is love. Jesus said this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's pretty basic, isn't it? That's pretty simple. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, let's just look at this in another way. If you don't keep my commandments, then what? See, I couldn't say that. That was too hard. I'm glad you all said it. Oh, but it is on the PowerPoint. (laughs) Uh, uh, uh. You know, the best way for my children to show me that they love me is that they obey me. 
the best way you, for you to show Jesus that you really love him is that you obey him. Look, I know it's hard to tell people about Jesus. Been there, done that. It is so hard. And I, I just want to say to you this morning, with all the compassion that I can muster, so what? So what? It's hard. It's hard to go to the cross. Jesus said, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine. Can you at least tell people about Jesus? Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. I'm going to share with you some things that I've thought. I know you've been thinking them before too. So I want you, because I identify with these, and I know that you'll identify with some of the thoughts I had. But if I do this, if I do this, they'll think I'm a weirdo. Have you ever thought that? Okay, just me. Well, God forbid they think that you're a weirdo. After all, in eternity, your reputation for normalcy is what's most important, isn't it? So what? We are weirdos. Bible says that we're pilgrims, that we're strangers on this earth. We're strange from everyone else. How about this one? They don't want to hear it. That's interesting because the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Who am I to tell them everything that they believe is wrong? Sounds arrogant. I mean, come on. I'm right. You're wrong. That's arrogant. You're going to die, go to hell. That's arrogant. I would agree with that statement except for one thing. There really is a hell, reality checkpoint number two. There really is a heaven. And there really is a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who loves them and died for them. If Jesus is just another religious teacher, keep your mouth shut. It's not worth it. But if he is the Son of God, if he is the truth, if you do believe that, then we must proclaim it. They're not ready. I need to give them more time. Jesus actually dealt with this in his disciples. He said, you say there are four months yet for the harvest. I say to you, look for the harvest. It's white right now under harvest. Right now the harvest is ready. You don't know what God's been doing in that coworker, that friend, that family member, that neighbor. You don't know. The harvest could be white. You have to tell. And this is one of my favorites. I will act like a Christian around them, and then they'll ask me. Oh, that makes my stomach sick. Please. I mean, I've never had this happen. I've never opened the door for some woman. She walked through the door and she goes, by the way, are you a Christian? Why, yes, I am. Oh, could you please tell me how to be a Christian? I just knew you were by the way you opened that door. Has anyone had that happen? No. You know, the fact is, they're not going to look at the way you act and think that you're a Christian. You have to tell them. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay, we've all heard those excuses. I've used them by my, even myself. I mean, I was so good. That, let me tell you something. I was so good. My boss, when I used to work at Burger King, he thought I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. I am telling you, he loved me. He knew I was a Christian because you know what I'd do? I would pray at the table. I was just waiting for the day. He was going to ask me, Steve, why do you do that? He never did. He knew I was a Christian so much that when I went to his mom and dad's 50th wedding anniversary, you know who they asked to pray? None of the family. Me. I prayed. <laughs> And I thought, well, certainly that's good enough. Then one day my wife called me. I just left the office. My wife called me and said, pray for so-and-so. And I said, why? And she said, because a friend of hers just died. And she feels awful because she never witnessed to them. Never witnessed to them. 
Well, I prayed for her, but you know what God said to me? You've never witnessed to James, your boss. It was then I immediately turned the car around, went back to the office, and I shared the gospel with him. The fact is, is they're not going to look at our actions and just fall down before us and ask us, how can I be saved? Let's quit justifying our disobedience, commit to obey the Savior that we profess to love above all others. Let me end with this passage. Matthew 21, Jesus tells a parable. He says to the people, what do you think? What do you think? A man has two sons. He came to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. I'll do it. He didn't go. Which of the two did the will of his father? Well, they said the first. And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. Think about that. Who was the woman that led her whole village to Jesus? It was a Samaritan woman who had had, what, five husbands? And the one she was living with then, living with, was not her husband. Yet she met Jesus and it changed her. And she told her whole village. How long's it been, guys? Since you witnessed to someone a week, a month, a year? I just want to give you one other thought to think about. Imagine this, someone here in our church, there's no one like this in our church, but imagine there was someone in our church that was living an adulterous lifestyle. He's married, some guy's married, and he's got a little mistress on the side. He comes to church, comes to life group, puts a little offering in the plate every now and then. And when approached about his lifestyle, he says, yeah, I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I mean, I prayed a prayer, got baptized. And he has no regret, none whatsoever, about his sinful lifestyle. Are you going to believe him? Now, I know, I know. Only God knows the heart. I know that. We don't know the heart. But wouldn't you think, wouldn't you think that this man should strongly examine his salvation? Wouldn't you think so? At least that far? Could you go that far? He should at least examine his salvation. I could go that far. When's the last time you witnessed to someone? I mean, went through the gospel and invited them to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I'm not talking about they sneeze and you say, God bless you. That's not witnessing. I'm talking about they're sinners. They need forgiveness. Christ died for their sins. He rose again the third day. And they need to turn from their sins and turn to Jesus Christ. When's the last time? The movie I mentioned earlier. You remember the red pill, blue pill? Morpheus explains to Neo that the Matrix is an illusory world created to prevent humans from discovering that, in fact, they are slaves to an external influence. He holds out the two capsules on his palms, and he describes the choice that is facing Neo. This is what he says. Neo, this is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed, and you believe whatever 
you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland and I show you just how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth. Nothing more. This morning, all I really wanted to do was offer you the truth. All I really want you to do is to look at your life honestly. Honestly, look at your life. You only got one to live on this earth by faith. That's all you get, one. There's no redos. Will you live it according to what Jesus says is reality? Or will you continue to live in blissful ignorance? I think you need to ask yourself these questions. And the first one you need to ask is, am I saved? Now, I put that one up there because the same thing I would say about the guy who had the mistress and living that lifestyle. If you've never witnessed to anybody, you've never, ever shared the gospel, ever, then just like that man, I would tell you, examine yourself. The Bible says to do that. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith or not. Some of you this morning, you're, you're wondering, am I? I don't want you to leave here without knowing the answer to that question. But here's what I want you to understand. I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it at all. It will cost you everything. You will have to deny yourself Take up your cross and follow Jesus. So this is what I want us to do. I want all of us to close our eyes and bow our heads. Just do that. I don't want you to think about anyone else but you. And I want you to ask yourself this question right now. Do I know that I know that I know that I'm saved? And if you say yes, then I want you to ask yourself this question. Why do I believe that? Is it just because I've prayed a prayer? Because I got baptized? I got wet? Is that all that you're basing everything on? Because I want, I want you to know. I, I prayed the prayer. I did, and I got up lost. Because <laughs> I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't know about the cost. But examine yourself. This morning. Are you saved? Now, if... You would say, I don't know. I'm not sure. Or maybe after hearing this, you say, I know I'm not saved. I've never had a compunction to witness to anyone, really. I've never done it. But you'd say, this morning, I don't want to mess around. I want to live according to the reality of Jesus Christ. I want to live by what he said. I want to give my life to him. If that is you, I want you to raise, I want you to take a step of faith. I want you to raise your hand right now so I can see you. Don't wait. Raise it up right now. If you say, I want to know for sure, or I want to be saved this morning, either one, anybody, anywhere. I see, I see those hands in the back. Thank you. Anyone else? All right. You raised your hand. You took that step of faith. 
I'm, I want to do something. I want to I help you this morning. I want to lead you in a prayer. But here's the thing. This prayer does not save you. It is the words from your heart spoken to God, your faith, that saves you. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer. You can pray these words after me, but I want you to know what you're doing this morning is you're giving it all to Jesus Christ. Your whole life, everything that you are, you're giving to him. Father in heaven, forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe that he rose again the third day. And this morning, I'm turning away from all my sins. I'm turning completely to Jesus Christ. I'm giving Jesus my life and all that I am. And I ask you to save my soul. Use me in your mission. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that prayer of true and genuine faith and commitment. That is what saves you. For by grace are you saved through faith. You really believe. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not of works lest any man should boast. Now, the next question I want you to answer. Everybody here, everyone else has said you're saved. Praise God. Because you know what? We have got an army here that is able to completely conquer Lexington and Columbia, South Carolina. Man, I'm so excited. So the next thing is, am I obedient? You have to ask yourself that question. Are you? If not, confess it and get right. Start being obedient today. You could witness to someone today. Who knows? Today, decide to be obedient. And the next thing is, what is my next step? What is my next step? Well, let me give you some possibilities, okay? You ready? First one is, you can learn how to witness at the Pass It On class that is next Saturday. Next Saturday, yes. You say, I don't know how to. I want to. I want to be obedient, but I don't know how. Well, pass it on. We will teach you that Saturday from 830 to 1230. We even throw in a breakfast. Can't beat that. The next one is lighthouse training. For all of those who have little lighthouses up there, we're going to teach you how to be a lighthouse to your neighbors, to your coworkers. That'll be next Sunday from 5 to 7. You can check that. You know what? It's on your little uh, response card. Yeah, we put that on there. So all you've got to do is write your name on there. You can start doing that right now. And then check if you want to take one of those or both of those. But here is the point. All I'm going to do is teach you during those times. Guess who has to obey? But I want to help you. I want you to be obedient to the mission that Jesus Christ has given us.